The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia and welcome to The Fold uh, for August 2020. Um, I'm your host Duncan Grieve and I am interviewing today Alex Bray, uh, who many of you may well be familiar with. He is the composer of our daily bulletin um, sort of news wrap email, which has kind of become a bit of a cult product for us. That um, It's got about 25,000 odd subscribers and you know, a lot of them are, are very devoted. It's probably one of the, the spin-off things that I get, um, you know, that the people mention to me most often. And I, I you know, I, I guess I'm a, I just, I'm a big fan of it and uh, I read it myself every day. And I feel like Alex has, you know, the, the, it's a cult product, but it's mainly because Alex has got such a, a specific tone and sensibility to it. Um, which he brings every time. Um, I'll be honest, and this is no disrespect to Alice, he wasn't my first choice of guest this week. Um, I was planning to interview Zoe and Rebecca, who've just started Ensemble, which you should absolutely check out. It's a it's a fashion and style magazine with a membership model, but it's, I don't know how they did it. It's like right out of the box. It's such an impressive site. But um Unfortunately, I was snaked for that uh, that exclusive by uh, Simon Pound. So, if you want to listen to an interview with them, go go check it out on on Business is Boring uh, elsewhere in the Spinoff Podcast Network. Uh, but Alex is actually someone I've, I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Obviously, we we um, we talk most days uh, through work. But I I feel like like a lot of people, I'm kind of fascinated by the process of the curation and creation of the bulletin. And also, you know, like just how he does it. And um, uh, so I'm going to talk to him about that. I'm also um, interested in his views on the sort of state of New Zealand journalism because he probably consumes more of it than almost anyone else and particularly how, how it as an institution has performed through the COVID-19 crisis. Um, I also want to talk to him about a couple of his own weird, perverse obsessions because this guy is like horny for local democracy and minor parties. And it's, frankly, it's it's a bit strange, but I guess we're all allowed our kinks and I won't shame him for them. Um, he has been, you know, the, he has been covering the minor parties with this, and we're not talking about like the Greens and Act so much as like the new conservatives and 
you know, social credit. Like he goes deep. He goes way outside of parliament. And I'm I'm curious about what draws him to those parties and what, what he sees in them uh, and, and his passion for local democracy. All the stuff which people run from, he runs to. Uh, and I also want to talk to him about his roadie, which was curtailed by the, the resurgence of COVID-19. He was, uh, I think, maybe in Topo at a backpackers when, when it hit. And um, so that that's a whole whole thread to pull as well. So um, I might just go grab him from the room next door now. We are recording this in person, but I should stress that we are physically distant, masked up and, uh, and sanitised. So it's a good, clean podcast. Joe Alex. G'day, how are you? I'm good, man. It's it's good to be in the same room as a human that I'm not blood related to or married to. Yeah, I yep, I feel about the same way. Uh, the flat has been uh, a little constricted since getting back, but you know, otherwise good. But you've, I mean, the, just just the fact of getting back means that you you've been free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had a had a had a wonderful day in uh, Wellington just before coming back up to Auckland, uh, back to Plague City. Uh, it really did feel like the last day of freedom. It, you know, it was, it was, um, went to a couple of different pubs and cafes and, you know, had handshakes with people. We it, may never see that again, but yeah. it, it was good while it lasted. What, 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 just tell, tell the listeners why you were free and then why <laughs> you cho- chose to rehouse yourselves in, in, in Plaguesville. Uh, so, about a week before the outbreak of community transmission, uh, I set out on an election campaign coverage project. Uh, basically, uh, the uh, the van company Juicy gave us a van and Zed Energy gave us some petrol. And the idea was to go outside of the major cities and, um, and go and cover the stuff in the election campaign that wasn't otherwise... Uh, likely to get covered in a in a nationwide publication. Um, then, uh, the entirely reasonable decision to delay the election was made, and all of a sudden, it didn't really make sense. Uh, in, you know, in a state of pandemic, to not be where I actually live. So, to to be clear, um, this is just sort of some health and safety, and, and mm. just some sort of legal. Mm. Uh, clearance that I'd like to have on the record. Mm. I didn't make you do that. Make me make me do what? Make you come back to Plague City or make not any of it. Like I, as as, as your employer, <laughs> I didn't make you get into a juicy camper van and go off into small town New Zealand. No, I'm pretty sure actually Demo- I I made you agree to it. I I think that's more how it how okay. it happened. That's uh, good. If that's the legal disclaimer, but that, that, you that need, that's what I need. Because um, for a lot of people, what you're describing sounds like. The, th- mm. the exact thing that they've spent their whole lives determinedly mm. working mm. to not do is mm. to, to go in a camper van in sort of the depths of winter mm. around sort of small town New Zealand to cover an election, uh, the early stages of an election campaign. Well, why why did you force me against my will to, <laughs> to let you do that? Um, yeah, when you put it like that, it, uh, <laughs> it sounds, sounds quite bad, doesn't it? But uh, no, it was... Um, it was incredible, and I suppose I don't know why. Why go and do something like that? There's there's quite a few reasons. Um, I suppose the first one 
I don't know. Maybe the first, uh, the best place to start would probably be by thinking about it in terms of professional reasons of like what is what is political journalism and and I think if you look at what a lot of political journalism is in New Zealand, it's basically coverage of Parliament because that's where the press gallery is. They're the ones who do politics. And I, I mean, absolutely no disrespect with this because the press gallery do an incredible job of covering Parliament. Uh, they know the structures. They know how MPs interact with those structures to advance their political goals. They do an amazing job of explaining what's quite obtuse and archaic a lot of the time. Uh, but there's this entire world of politics happening outside of Parliament as well which, you know, doesn't always necessarily get the coverage that it should. You know, you could argue that because a lot of these people are really unlikely to get elected or end up in Parliament, it doesn't matter. I kind of take the opposite view, that that politics happens in, in levels entirely outside of those structures. And, you know, if everyone else is focused on Parliament and then subsequently during an election campaign very heavily focused on the presidential style of journalism, of following Collins and Ardern around the country, uh, then there's a lot of room for someone to get in a van and um, go and have what for some people would be a terrible time but I personally quite like. Yeah, I mean, and and that's what I described in, in the prelude while you're out of the room as, mm. as, as your strange kink <laughs> is is for following New Zealand's least successful political parties mm, and mm. and watching the process of them fail to become part of any uh, of our political structures, you know, up close and Well, personal. we haven't seen the results yet. I mean, let's not count out a surge for maybe one. Who can say? Well, no, 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 let's not. And I, and I like <laughs> the fact that you're sort of in the corner of no no party in particular, but of the whole great mess of the unrepresented. Mm. Um, the, the, the story that of yours that came out of that trip that I, I liked best uh, was on one party mm, mm. tell tell us tell us about that because i and I, I strongly recommend readers that you that you search it out because it's a it's just a portrait of a community that has, isn't particularly represented and it's a it's a portrait of a of a christian party in new mm. zealand that is you know you, you go in there expecting and it would be very easy and and obvious to to just play it for laughs or to kind of poke fun, but I think the, the strength of the piece is that it, you approach them on their own terms and and uh, just sort of hear them out, essentially. Well, I, I mean, I, I think that is, um, thank you, by the way, that's that's very generous of you. I told um, you this was a hard-hitting interview. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, I'm really being raked over the coals here, aren't I? Um, but I, I suppose, um, uh, so that, that particular story took me to Martin, which is... Um, a, Wonderful town. Love it. Uh, um, I've got a fantastic yarn about uh, buying a book in a secondhand bookstore there, which um probably won't tell right now because it's completely tangential, but so really like, cats. really like, yeah, yeah. If you can get me onto that podcast as well, then that would be, that would be awesome. But um, I uh, basically, so the, the one party have been on a tour all over the North Island recently and at the time that I was able to sort of coincide with them, 
they happened to be doing a tour of the sort of general Manawatu Wanganui region. So one of the next stops on their tour was to go to Ratana, which is not too far away from Martin. Um, the event itself, it was hosted by a couple of local churches there who were very much more in the sort of uh, uh, Pentecostal Baptist vein of Christianity. And I feel like for those stories, um, you know, it's it's great to pick up the phone and have a yarn to someone, but you really do have to uh, to try and build up an understanding of, of these sorts of things. You really have to go to people on their own turf and... Uh, see how they are when they are simply around their own their own people and their own supporters um so i didn't i mean i feel a little bit bad saying this at first i didn't actually identify myself as a journalist i just sort of attached myself to the the one party group who were welcomed in for the porphyry at the start of the meeting um during her speech, the party's co-leader, Stephanie Harawera, asked if there were any journalists in the room. And at that point, I sort of thought, well, I'm not going to lie and say I'm not. So I put my hand up then. And, and then she was very generous, giving me an interview afterwards as well. But the thing was, is that uh, if you go into those spaces, uh, I don't know, with uh, with sort of preconceived ideas about what you're going to come out seeing, then you you won't necessarily see what's actually there. And the point of going into those spaces is to really see how they communicate in their own language, I suppose. Um, and in the case of the one party, uh, a lot of that language is biblical. Uh, they they sort of, they talk about how uh, they want people to party vote kingdom, which is, you know, a reference to the, the kingdom of, Jesus Christ, as I understand it, their their candidates talk about how they uh, they don't talk about how they chose to run for parliament. They talk about how uh, they've been called to by God, and that's all in keeping with a party that very much sees itself not as a Christian values party or a party who believes in in or has politicians in it who are Christians themselves. They are an explicitly Christian party. And that's sort of something quite different because it it really it really affects how if they were to make it into Parliament, which, you know, at this stage looks unlikely. They're 0.2% in the latest Colmar Brunton poll, so there's a way to go yet for them. It's a help to climb, isn't it? But it's it's a bit of a mountain, but you know, they they believe they can. And those sorts of things are rather than just reading their website and having a look at their policies uh, or just calling them up and having a chat, uh, those sorts of things I felt like meant that it was much more possible to actually see you know, who they are as people. Obviously the, the trip was curtailed, but I, I gather that you plan to resume it, which mm. is you know, truly... I do. Right. Freely choosing. Yeah. And I'll be going in spring as well. I mean, I, I had a few frosts. Uh, they were they were beautiful. Um, but cold? I had, a, I had a minus three night cold. in Mangaweka. That was, um, it, honestly, it was a really good night. It was nice. <laughs> you know, it was cozy. Yeah. Thank you, Juicy. 
<laughs> Absolutely. So, well, how would you to just like I said to, to zoom out a bit? How would you characterize the the kind of the mood of the people you met on the on the part of the trip you were able to successfully complete? Uh, do you mean politicians or no? People? Absolutely not. Just just sort of regular regular folk. Honestly, a lot of people don't think all that much about politics at all, uh, and that's one of those things that is the hardest. Um, that's kind of the hardest mind shift, uh, uh, mindset shift for me to make as a as a journalist when trying to just go out and and meet people and ask them what they think about things because you know I I work for a a media organisation where everyone's intensely tuned into politics. You know, most of the people that I socialise with regularly are intensely tuned into politics as well. Um, and so I think, you know, at the time I was out and about, uh, a lot of people didn't really have all that all that many thoughts about politics at all because it was still very early in the campaign. Uh, we're coming out of uh, a year which has been um, disrupted by events, to say the least, um, and it hadn't really quite—it hadn't necessarily quite occurred to them to start thinking about it yet. Um, and you know that's fine. People have different interests. Uh, I, you know, people were very keen to talk the rugby. That and what, was cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and what, what were the what, what's the what's the situation? What what, what are they? Look, I didn't make it down to Canterbury, but people hate the Crusaders, so, so you it's, know. A, it's actually a scoop <laughs> for the fold. <laughs> people outside of Canterbury hating the Crusaders. Yeah. So the you know the other um, the other thing that you do apart when you're not on the road, mm. in fact, when you are on the road, and that, mm. this would mm. would kind of. Um, kind of blow some people's minds is that that, that your your main job is still creating the bulletin. Um, do you just sort of talk us through the the creation of that? Because it's you know it's it's a popular and beloved part of what we do, and I th- still get a lot of people, even people who work at the spinoff, are like, how how does, it, how does he do that? Um. Are we into the sort of performance review part of the interview now, or is that that is that? <laughs> This this is more of a no that, that that's that happens outside of the, okay, the, the right. recorded realm. Right. No, this is more about like the the, the process because you can't consume all of New Zealand. We just even as mm, as kind of mm. as 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 shrunken and um, kind of you know draw, drawn in as as the field is, we still make a hell of a lot of it. And mm, so, so mm. there's got to be some kind of, and and you you read quite broadly, you know, you see your your farmers weeklies and your politics. Oh, not farmers just weekly's a great publication, man. It's it's really. I know that farmers weekly beat our our um, Barker's uh, publication at the at the media awards last year. And um, look, I'm not going to comment on whether that was a deserved win or not. Uh, I think they're both excellent publications. That's though. right. That's, a, yeah. that's absolutely right. Um, yeah, no, look, uh, making uh, making the bulletin becomes a lot easier over time because once you're plugged in, uh, you can kind of maintain that a lot easier. I, I think if I were to take um, a long stretch of time off doing it, it would be a lot more difficult to start again, uh, both in a sort of awareness of what's going on sense and also just the 
logistics of getting up early every day, <laughs> which um, I've become a morning person over time, which is nice, I suppose. Um, I guess when it comes to a lot of New Zealand journalism, I think you you start to notice bylines where um, where if someone has put something out, you can kind of you know what that journalist is about. Um, and I think there there are these sorts of journalists at absolutely every single publication. So a lot of it is about um, having a sort of mental list of, you know, maybe 25 to 30 journalists off the top of my head who I know are, who I know are really first-rate journalists and just looking out for their byline and seeing it and knowing that whatever comes underneath it is going to be worth reading. In terms of the the wider reading stuff, that's sort of more like on a cycle of every sort of two to three days, have a look at, you know, the likes of Farmers Weekly or Interest or Te Wahanui or the ODT or Crux or whatever. Um, and there are those publications which are more specialised and they do tend to run stories that aren't so important in a breaking sense. So while there's the the kind of RNZ stuff, Herald, News Hub, TVNZ, and now more than ever actually spin-off as well, uh, doing that sort of daily, doing that daily news stuff, um, when you when you've got a bit more time to step back and look at those more specialist publications or the more long form publications, you can include newsroom in that as well. Uh, that's when you can start to find the sorts of stories that aren't necessarily on everyone's radar, but perhaps should be. Um, so I suppose what that all comes down to, um, I mean, everyone everyone in media sort of works hard, right? So <laughs> I don't think I work any harder than anyone else. Um, but I get to, I get to read amazing work every day. And so that doesn't really feel like work in that sense. That's just because I'm interested in what's happening in the news. And we're lucky enough to have a country with a lot of very, very good practitioners of that. So on that um, front, so you've been doing, you've been working, doing the bulletin for about two and a half years now, am I right? Mm, mm. I reckon I've probably lost about maybe three, four thousand hours of sleep doing it now I, I think it would be about up to that yeah well that's i mean that that when that was just wasted time mm, mm, you had mm. you you'd, you'd planned to just literally yeah. be lying there mm. doing absolutely nothing. nothing not even a thought in your head nothing so yeah. you're welcome yeah <laughs> um basically uh no what i wanted to ask was was that that is a span during which you know the the media has has been through some things it's covered mm. some major events it's you know, there's been redundancies of virtually every major major organisation. What what is your sense of kind of the of the the quality of what what you're reading, of how it's presented? Like, what what are the, what are some trends that sort of leap out to you that you can kind of you can sense that have have moved in that time? Yeah, I mean, I think I I really do think we've hit um, or hit past tense a real 
a real low in how media companies treated the journalism that their journalists were producing. Um, in a in a former life, I used to work at News Talk ZB, um, and I remember one time walking past the NZ Herald business team, and I won't say who this was because they're a very good journalist, and they probably don't want this sort of dirty laundry being put out. But they were they were sitting there in a. I'll, I'll write it down. I'll write it down for you. Um, they were sitting at their desk, looking at the front page of uh, of the Herald website, and this would have been about 2015 or 2016 or something. And this journalist had an absolutely shell shocked impression. On, uh, on their face and they uh, they said something like our news website is currently being led by a story about which country has the world's largest breasted woman and it just it, it was so bleak it was so so extremely bleak that's like succession kind of writing. it was yeah 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 no it was it was one of those moments where it was like you know, I I read that journalist's work regularly, and it was always top quality. And I'm not saying this is a Herald specific thing, but what they were putting out on their front page of their website uh, was frequently garbage. And they don't do that anymore. They really don't. They they highlight their premium stuff most of all. Uh, they have always had really good journalists producing really good work and they make a hell of a lot more of it uh, they make a hell of a lot more out of it now um that's probably partly because they quite literally make money off it through digital premium subscriptions but i think it's also because i mean i don't want to i don't want to speak for the company but i i feel like there was probably a sense that in a very attention and information staffed sort of environment people's attention is so so vital and if you've got this if you're paying for good journalists you should be putting that out to people as much as possible and making that your shop window i think stuff has done the exact same thing in the last couple of years the the quality i mean the quality of their work has always been there as well the quality of work that they now choose to present to the world on their front page is out of sight, way, way better. And I think for them, their big their big move in this area was probably the, the creation of a national correspondence team because it meant that they had a whole lot of really strong subject matter experts who could do just day after day, uh, well, you know, for the site as a whole, day after day they would have big crunchy features coming out which everyone should read really and and that's i think when it comes down to it that's really the biggest uh change i've seen over the time that i've been in media generally that for a couple of years at the start of my career it looked like things were getting a lot worse and yeah. gonna gonna get really bad and now the you know I I know that you're the expert on the economics of it. I don't really um, I don't really know too much about the economics of media businesses, but it, in a quality sense, the plane that was heading into a tailspin has been.
been stabilized, as it were. Yeah. It's still on fire, but it's been stabilized and it's still flying. Well, the thing that I think is interesting about that is that what we have witnessed is a, you know, staff has, has very explicitly talked about trust being mm. the, um, the thing that they most want to emphasize. And I think that's, that's quite a, you know, it's a... It's it's viewing your audience as, as more of a partner than a passive consumer mm, of your mm. content, which I think is, you know, it's quite a sea change. You know, like the 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 old top down editorial mandate of um, of you know we decide what the news is. Um, that mm. was that was really important. And then they went through one which was very sort of whatever gets us the most CPM return on, you know, the most clicks uh, generates the most uh, ad impressions and therefore that's a sort of marker of success. Mm. And and surveys about countries with large-breasted women, they generate clicks. They, like they, 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 they People want to know. Millions the, of clicks. Yeah. And but, that's that's one of those sad realities of, I, of, I think, of digital news is that Everyone who's like my former life at ZB was as the online editor of that in radio sport, and we knew exactly what would get people clicking. But and I'll, it was not it was not the the sort of quality. Uh, like one of the things that people don't quite know about ZB is that they've got a news team who is totally independent of uh, the programs team who who does the the talk back in the in the shows. And you know, I'm not. I'm not knocking the programs team here, but the news team do a lot of quite interesting, quite unique stories a lot of the time that never really get surfaced because they happen in a news bulletin a couple of times over the course of a day and are then just kind of gone. And the problem with uh, the problem with the website is that it's you know very much about generating clicks to what's happening in programs because for the branding of the station overall that's where it's at you know that's the money making um so yeah we we would always know that a that an opinion piece would do much better than a a researched story or an exclusive or a, a feature and it just it sort of just is what it is but 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 i i think well that's the thing that i think has changed right is that you know there there was a sort of a combustible peak in total uh, traffic to news sites. So I don't have access, you know, I, I can, there are some publicly available figures and some that I've been supplied over time. But, you know, I think at the, the all-time peak, the you know, stuff in the Herald were north of mm. 200 million page views um, consistently. The thing that, and, and, and this was with every turbo of trash content mm. you could imagine mm. turned mm. to full. And, my understanding is that that has come back, you know, that they are now more in the sort of high hundreds of millions um, mm. type range. Uh, though, though, again, I, the, the, those figures aren't publicly disclosed. So I'm, I'm sort of going off memory and, and what, what, I've, uh, what I have been provided. But I th- what I think is quite remarkable is that they have almost entirely abandoned the, the large-breasted woman uh, in, in uh, quote-unquote story um, in favor of, you know, something that much more resembles what you would hope a homepage mm, um, would mm. look like. You know, you can quibble with the emphasis with how long things stay up. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, there are a lot of people who criticize um, 
you know, the Herald in particular, there are a lot of people who criticise the surfacing of opinion pieces um, as a way of generating traffic. And, I, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't, I don't really have a problem with that because I think opinion and editorial should always be, you know, an integral part of any, any media organisation. Uh, you can choose whether or not you want to agree with the epidemiological views of Kate Hawksby, but, uh, you know... It, it's totally it's a, fair it's, enough it's for a democracy. it to be there. Let's get it is. I mean, uh, but I, I guess the, the the point I'm trying to make is I think we overestimated the importance of putting sort of the, the co- commodity outbrain type news at the top of the feed versus what behaviorally people just they 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 have learned the habit of going to these homepages mm. and they will mostly find something to read and the next best substitute is mostly good enough. You can see that they've come back 20%. That's not nothing in terms of your revenue. But when you start to push in a second stream, which is on staff, it's their um, voluntary membership program on the Herald, it's premium, you can probably start to make up a decent chunk of the, those sort of missing clicks. Mm. And you get, you know, I think that your commercial sales proposition, your prospects for growth of those um, reader revenue, there's, I think that the, the the, the, you know, there has been a stabilizing. There's still a lot that you can criticize any large media organization and for, and, and I think it's it's right that particularly the way that they've covered and the, the sort of the uh, certain ethnic minorities and um, the diversity of newsrooms, those will almost always be in play. But I think some of those fundamentally really just sort of destructive um, and and destructive of society and and of brand uh, value mm-hmm. things that had been going on have come back um, what I what I one of the things I think just returning to the bulletin um, that I think that I like about it is that that it has a voice and a perspective and at times you and I correspond about you know where the line <laughs> is in terms of opinion um, and so on yeah yeah. But um, um <laughs> but, but fundamentally, like I think it requires that, um, and I know that that also prompts an inter- a level of interaction with your audience. And that, yes. so, do you want to talk a bit about the kinds of people you hear from and and how that sort of informs y- your work? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we're so uh, I'll I mean I'll tell you uh, one off the top of my head from today. Um, there was um. I get very reasonable and and reasoned criticism. Um, I I you know I feel like the the people reading it who then get in touch to tell me I'm wrong um, do so from a position of sort of actively engaging with it in the first place. So I got uh, I got one today uh, today being Wednesday the twenty something of August. Um, for the context of the story, it will be today is is day three of the sentencing of the Christchurch mosque shooter, uh, and I didn't have anything on what had been said in court yesterday uh, in today's bulletin. Uh, having covered the victim impact statements on Tuesday and uh, previewed the sentencing on Monday and knowing full well that when the sentencing is announced that will be covered as well I didn't want to get into sort of saturation coverage territory Uh, and someone got in touch and said you know you should have covered this because this is this is important this is humanity 
these are people sharing incredible, powerful stories and it should have been in there. And I went back to them and said, yeah, you know what? That's actually fair enough and I probably should have. Um, I guess the point of that story, the, the criticism that gets made is not from people who um, see a certain keyword or, or a certain topic and just blast something out uh, without really thinking about it. It's people who, uh, who really actively engage in, you know, what they think something like the bulletin should be. And I mean, that's, uh, for anyone making something in media, I think that's an astonishingly fortunate position to be in, uh, where people value what you're doing enough to critique it, uh, in a way like that. So I, you know, I, I feel really lucky about that two-way interaction. I, I think if it were to disappear, that would probably be a bad sign. Um, so long may people continue to criticise me. I mean, I had heaps more questions to, to, to go through, <laughs> but that's such a lovely note to end on that I think I'll end it there. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on this uh, episode of The Fade Out, Fold oh, Alex. Thank you for continuing to employ me and, uh, and indulge me. <laughs> <laughs> um, my intention is uh, I've, I've been trying to figure out how to increase the frequency of the fold without sort of completely blowing apart my, my work life. But mm. uh, I think what I'm going to do is, is just basically have haul people out of the room whenever we both have a spare moment and talk about their work. So we'll sort of alternate speaking to the spin-off with speaking to the broader journalistic community about media and technology and so on. So um, hopefully I'll, I'll have you back in here oh, at some point. I mean, that would be a pleasure. Oh my gosh, Jane Yee, a producer, <laughs> did not have a phone on silent. After Plus, I went to all the trouble of putting my phone on silent as well. It's, dear, dear. it's crazy. And anyway, man, thank you so much for, for coming up. Thank you, Jane, for um, aside from that inglorious faux pas, you've been a, a spectacular <laughs> producer. Kia ora e te iwi. Te Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.